Bevan Gregg. Mm. Welcome back. Glad to have you here. Love can change the world. Absolutely. Absolutely. So good to see all of you here this morning. I'm Reverend Debbie McDonald. It's my joy to welcome you here. Um, we have some of our folks off on uh, adventures this week um, and some new people visiting us. Welcome. Our two practitioner students, Amber Gooseman and Meg Gray Whitler, are down in San Diego for the San Diego uh, graduation today. There's a big graduation that uh, takes place this year. We have 59 practitioners graduating just at that graduation today, this afternoon. And they're down there because they're finishing their first year and they're there for a retreat. And so next year they'll be graduating, but they're there with that group. So we'll send them love uh, as they're off on their adventures. And uh, welcome to all of you that are here today. Uh, lots of graduations going on in the world. Lots of things happening. People got birthdays. We have a birthday today. Lots of things happening here in June. But what we're talking about this month is where we'll, all year long, we're talking about Awake and Alive, We Thrive. Awake and Alive, We Thrive. And that's our year theme, but we've got a new uh, month topic today. And if you haven't guessed it yet, it's love. Loving and loneliness. Loving and loneliness. But today we're going to talk about love. Today we're going to talk about love. Um, love is a four-letter word, is the uh, talk for today. Piglet and Pooh. You know the tale of Pooh. Piglet said, how do you spell love? And Pooh said, you don't spell it, you feel it. Right? Love, 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 love. You know, we talk about love. We throw this word around. Love you. Hello. Love you. Love you lots. You know, XO. We, we, we just are... We, we, we say it a lot, you know, love is all you need, uh, love is a many splendor thing. We think of all the songs and the movies are all around love and we talk about this thing, you know, and there's different kinds of love. We've got the platonic love, we've got romantic love, and we have love that we might have for our children is different than the love that we have for our partner or lover. And there's, there's all sorts of different things that all of us mean, I think, when we're talking about love, you know. Love is an action word, love is a verb, and we've heard all those things, right? Uh, poo, you feel it. Love's a feeling, not a word so much. You know, I've counseled and spoke with lots of women and, and some men who, who just believe, you know, that this is a couple's world. Unless you're in a couple, unless you're in a pair, then, you know, you're, 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 you're second best, right? You need to be partnered up. You need to be in love. You need to have this relationship going, right? We have this longing to belong. We have this longing to be in love, to be loved. You know, and then we could talk about self-love. That's a whole nother concept, right? Open a whole nother box with that. What does that mean to love ourselves? You know, many of us have pets, Pets that we can love and pets that love us unconditionally. Pets are the best thing. There's no mistake, right, that uh, dog is God spelled backwards, right? That that love that you just get, they love you no matter what. They love you no matter what. Ernest Holmes wrote, God is love and love is God. They are one and the same. God and love are one and the same. Emerson wrote, love is our highest word and a synonym for God. Love is our highest word and a synonym for God. 
And our quote for this week for Marianne Williamson is, I had never realized that depending on God meant depending on love. I had never realized that depending on God meant depending on love. So what does it mean, the love of God? Come on in and join us. What does it mean, the love of God? What does it mean to say that God loves me or God loves me unconditionally? And are you feeling that? You know, are you feeling that love? Are you feeling that love in your life? You know, here in religious science, we use the words interchangeably, God, love, good, good love, God, kind of use all those three things. And we say that the only energy, the only essence is love. So if love is the only essence and the only energy in the world, are you feeling it? Right? And if you're not feeling it, then why not? Why are you not feeling that love? You know, what is blocking you from receiving that? from receiving that feeling, from receiving that energy. Our book for this month, we have a new book we've been using this year. We've been having a book of the month, and it's going well. Each month we seem to be having, you know, some excitement around the book. So our book this month is A Return to Love by Marianne Williamson. And, you know, it's one of my favorite books, and it's an old book. It was a very pivotal book for me, A Return to Love. Reflections on the Principles of A Course in Miracles. You know, and I haven't studied The Course in Miracles extensively. I've leafed through it. I've nowhere read it cover to cover. I don't know if you've ever seen The Course in Miracles. The pages are like little tissue paper pages, you know, and it's quite thick. But Marianne Williamson, she has studied it extensively, and so in this book, A Return to Love, she, she uses a lot of examples from The Course in it. You know, and I'm fascinated, I've always been fascinated. From the time I was a little girl, I was fascinated with this idea of love. And I don't know, you know, I have a personal belief, I don't know that it's been proven anywhere, that we come into this world, we're born into this world as pure love. You know, we're born as love. You know, and we remember that love from where we came from. So when we're little, we're like these little love bundles, right? And I think I got here and I went, oh my gosh. Like, uh-oh. Right? Not everything's as hunky-dory as it was prior to getting here, right? And I've longed. I've longed for that love. I've longed to find that connection. I've longed to feel it. You know, to feel that thing that I know that is the truth. That love that we feel. You know? And I, I know I've shared with you before, and I half joke, and I'm half serious, that I really feel like I miss the 60s, because I think it would have been a great flower child. You know, I think that was like part of my calling, right? To be in the love, and everything's groovy, and peace, and you know, all that stuff, right? And uh, I know that's not the reality of all of that, that there was a lot of other things going on during that time and in that movement. Uh, there's a story uh, of a young man, his name is Mark. Well, he's grown now, but he tells a story of when he was young. And this was the summer of love, the summer of love, 67. He was eight years old. And uh, he uh, remembers very specifically this time. He grew up in Santa Monica on the corner of uh, 26th and Pearl. And if you know LA, if you know Santa Monica, 26th Street is 26 blocks up from the beach, right? So he could see from his little front yard, he could see the ocean. You know, and, and, and in Santa Monica, they have the pier with the rides, kind of like we do up in Santa Cruz. And uh, every weekend, he said his mom and dad would take him and his sister to the beach, and they would play in the beach. Well, the summer that he was eight, he started, decided to get brave. He kept looking down, and he could see the water, and he could see the ocean, and he thought, I'm going to walk. 
But 26 blocks to him, he says, felt like 26 miles, right? He had never been that far. The farthest he had walked on his own was the three blocks to school. So one day, he mustered all his courage, and he was going to walk these 26 uh, blocks to the beach. And he started out, and he'd remembered, you know, for the most part, grown-ups were nice. He'd run into a couple grumpy grumpy ones along the way, right? And he hoped that most of the people he saw on these 26 blocks would be nice. And uh, he made it the three blocks past the school, and he was on new territory now. And he was walking, and he's walking, and he's cautious to see what he's going to run into. And he came upon this house where loud music was coming out of it. And he stopped, and he watched. And there was a guy playing what he learned later was a sitar. And there was uh, people dancing, and there was flowers. He said all kinds of flowers coming through the white picket fence that had things painted on the white picket fence like peace and love and rainbows, you know, and flowers and all this. He said there was three girls that were dancing in the front yard. One was blowing bubbles. One, uh, two were sharing one of those cigarettes, he said, you know, and he was eight. He didn't know what that was all about. But he thought these were those people that his dad called those damn hippies. You know, that's what he thought it was. And he stood there transfixed and he was watching and he forgot that they could see him. And all of a sudden they said, oh, look at that little boy. And he looked behind him thinking, well, what little boy? And then he realized they were talking about him. And uh, they said, come in. And he said, well, he had been told, you know, not to be, you know, to be careful of strangers. So they said, oh, you're shy. So they all came out the gate and they came on the sidewalk and they hugged him and they loved him. And they said, oh, you're the cutest, sweetest little thing, you know. And he said he felt this amazing amazing sense of love. He said he'd been used to being hugged by aunts and uncles and grandmas and grandpas, but this was different. These three young girls were just telling him how cute he was. And one ran in and got a peanut butter and jelly sandwich and a bottle of Coca-Cola and, and came out and brought it to him. And he went in and he sat on the grass. And they sat and talked. And he said the day went by. They just talked. And they gave him advice. And they got to know who he was. And he told them about a bully at school. And they told him to just love the bully. You just be nice to him. You just be nice to me. He said that was really different advice that he'd gotten from his brothers who told him, you know, what to do to the bully, right? So he said that was all new to him. And, and he said the sun started to set and he realized it was time to go home. And, and, and he said he had never had such an amazing day. And they followed him out and they hugged him once again. And, and, and he said he spent lots of, lots of days of that summer down at that house, down at that house, just, just basking in that love. You know, an eight-year-old little boy just feeling this love that he didn't feel anywhere else. You know, and uh, one day towards the end of the summer, he walked down to spend some time with his new friends, and the house was empty. Everybody was gone. The music had stopped. There was a man that lived next door, and he said, hey, are you Mark? And he said, yeah, I am. He says, well, they left a message for you. They had to move suddenly, and they really wanted to see you one more time, but they wanted you to know that they loved you. You know, and he says he walked out that gate and walked home with tears streaming down his face. You know, and to this day, he remembers that, that time. He says when he gets into a place where he's in a funk, he remembers that feeling of love. And he says, now the hippies may not have transformed the world. They may not have stopped the Vietnam War. But what those, that group did for him as a young boy changed his life. You know, and... Uh, the quote that Denise read, you know, Mother Teresa, we may not all be able to do great things, but we can do small things with great love, right? We can do small things with great love. You know, the summer of love.
Taking Love Seriously, it's from Marianne Williamson's book. Uh, she says, uh, I began to realize that taking love seriously would be a complete transformation of my thinking. A Course in Miracles calls it a mind training in the relinquishment of a thought system based on fear and the acceptance instead of a thought system based on love. Mind training. Change your thinking, change your life. There's so many teachings that are the same, right? What we think about, we bring about. Loving is a brave act. To love somebody unconditional, I think, is, takes courage. To open your heart, to be that vulnerable, to let somebody in, to let down your guards, to say, I love you. I love you. You know, for fun or for free, with no thought of getting anything back. Marianne Williamson, the spiritual journey is the relinquishment or unlearning of fear and the acceptance of love back into our hearts. Love is the essential existential fact. It is our ultimate reality and our purpose on earth. To be consciously aware of it, to experience love in ourselves and others is the meaning of life. I believe that. I believe we're here to love. I believe we're here to love each other. We came here to co-create with God by extending love. Of course, in miracles. I came across these little Emerson books. I've got, or Emmett Fox books. I've got very fascinated with these. Uh, we found that we have great history here of, of our science of mind literature. We have a library upstairs. Bobby gets all these great things in the bookstore. I don't know where they come from, but all these old kind of great religious science things from the early, you know, 30s and in, in the 40s. And um, some of them are these little Emmett Fox pamphlets. And I had a few and, and I've seen a few and, and I've got some more around here. And when I was in the desert, I bought a couple more. But I came across this one that's got my interest right now, the seven-day mental diet the seven-day mental diet, and uh, it's so interesting because Emmett Fox in it, he says this. He says, um, the counters of the bookstores are filled with volumes unfolding the mysteries of protein, starches, vitamins, and so forth. Like, doesn't that sound like today? I mean, you go in a bookstore and it's all about uh, health and nutrition, and he talks in the beginning of that pamphlet about how the world is all about health and healthy eating and what we're eating, and he says, but I want to offer you something else. I want to enter you, uh, uh, I want to suggest to you a mental diet. Not a physical diet, but a mental diet. You know, and he goes on to explain how it works and what it is and what he asks the people to do for seven days is to focus their thinking only on positive, constructive thoughts. If any other thought enters your mind, you're to let it be. You're to let it be. And you're to do that for one week. And he claims by doing that for seven days, your life will be transformed. This is your prescription. For seven days, you must not allow yourself to dwell for a single moment on any kind of negative thought. You must watch yourself for a whole week as a cat watches a mouse. And you must not, under any pretense, allow your mind to dwell on any thought that is not positive, constructive, optimistic, or kind. 
Wow, what an order, right? But he says, and I love this analogy, he uses this analogy because some of us think, well, how can I watch my thinking that much, really, for Pete's sakes? And he uses this analogy of sitting around a campfire. And say we're sitting around a campfire and the sparks are flying and a spark flies and it lands on our sleeve and we brush it off. No harm done, right? But if a spark flies and lands on our sleeve and we allow it to sit there and we allow it to burn a hole in our sleeve and then maybe it burns our skin, well, then we've taken hold of that spark, haven't we? And he uses our thoughts in that same way. He uses that example. If the thought comes through your mind and you brush it away, well, that's not the thought he's talking about. It's the thought that you let land. It's the thought that you let land and burn into your consciousness, the one that you think about for more than just that one second that you flip it away. And I think that's a really great analogy. You know, what thoughts are we entertaining? What thoughts are we holding on to? What thoughts are we mulling around in our mind? So he asks us, you know, he asks us to take this seven-day mental diet. And I think it's a great idea. You know, and he says to prepare for it just like we would a food diet. You know, in the food diet, you get all the bad stuff out of the house and you bring in all the good food and you make sure you have no big birthdays coming up or something where you know you're going to just eat, you know. But he says, on a mental diet, we do the same thing. We take a look at our lives and we see what do we come up, have coming up. If you've got a stressful business meeting coming up or if you've got some event that you know is going to be very stressful for you, he says just to wait. You know, to wait till when you have seven days that you know that you can pay very good attention to your thinking. That you can pay very good attention to your thinking, you know. And he tells us to do it for the seven days in a very concentrated way. He says he couldn't ask us to do it for longer than that because many of us, we couldn't. But for seven days, he feels we could. And he says, if you find that after a day or two, you find yourself entertaining some negative stuff that happens in your life, then he asks you to put it aside and start over. Start over a few days later and do a solid seven days of this concentrated thinking. And he talks about it in his book, The Golden Key, too, where he talks about whenever we think of a problem, we turn from the problem and we turn to God. We turn from the problem and we turn to God. And that's what he calls golden keying it when he says, when he talks about golden keying Emmett Fox. So in this mental diet, that's what he's asking us to do, to turn away from the negative and to turn to the positive. And he says if we do that for a week, that we will notice a change in our life. And what he says is we don't have to change circumstances. You see, that's where we get in trouble. We think we need to change the outer. But he reminds us by changing the inner, the outer changes. Right? When we change our thinking, shift happens. Shift happens in our life. We don't have to do it. You know, we focus on our thinking and the outer stuff works. The outer stuff just changes, you know, and I believe it to be true. I have spent on more than one occasion concentrated efforts solely in spiritual practice. And I'm amazed at the stuff that happens in my life afterwards. Sometimes I even forget. You know, like stuff starts happening. I'm like, wow, this is so interesting that this stuff is happening. And I go, oh, yeah, I just spent six days in meditation on that. You know, and I'm surprised that it's happening. You know, and it doesn't always happen the way that I think it should happen, right? I mean, stuff starts falling apart, and you're like, well, this is not what I meant, right? But the stuff falls apart, and then it all gets put back together in the most amazing way. You know, so the seven-day mental diet, it's fun. I'm going to talk to Bobby about bringing some of these into the bookstore because they're really fun. They're really fun and they're easy to read, to do. So as we change our thinking, our life changes, right? The Course in Miracles, the Science of Mind, the Dalai Lama, Jesus, they all spoke of love, right? And so when the great teachers are all talking about the same thing, that's when I pay attention. Right? And that's what Ernest Holmes did. He took the common threads from these great teachers and these great religions and he put them together in what we call the science of mind. 
right? So love, love being a central thread to all of it. Uh, you know, I remember as a young child, I think I was in the first or second grade and we had to read, I went to parochial school, we had to read what was called the Baltimore Catechism. And I remember as a little child reading and knowing and I memorized, you know, why are we here? And the answer was we're here to love, honor, and serve God. I remember that from first grade. You know, now I've gone back and looked at the Baltimore Catechism now and I'll tell you most of it is, <laughs> you don't want to read it. But that thing was, you know, that one is good, we're here to love. We're here to love. You know, from the time I was a little child, I was like, I signed up for that. I'm like, yeah, I'm here to love. That's what, that's what I want to do. You know, this idea of love and God, it got my attention, you know? And I think I spent most of my life looking for love, and oftentimes in all the wrong places, you know? In all the wrong places. But I, 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 I was looking and seeking until I learned that what I was really seeking was God. What I was really seeking was source. What I was really seeking was a connection to spirit, right? To that love. So this week I ask if we can turn from fear to love in that moment, you know? If we can recognize that we're in fear, if we can turn to love, you know? Pay attention to the thoughts that we hold. Not the ones that land, but the ones we hold. Pay attention to those. And, and release them. You know, but most of all, remember that God is love, and love is God, and it's one and the same. And remember, as Bev and Greg started off our service, love is all you need. God bless you. So glad that you're here today. Welcome. Good to have you. Good. And I'm going to ask Bev and Greg to come back.